Welcome to Media Majors, a podcast about major media. Liam, you sound a little down this week. Is something the matter? Oh, I don't know. I don't want to talk about my problems when the world is on fire, but they've taken Buffy the Vampire Slayer off of Netflix. Oh! Oh, no! It gets worse. No, Buffy! It gets worse. See, it's on Hulu, but I have to watch ads. Okay, that is... Commoner! objectively worse tom every time i see an internet ad i remind myself that freedom isn't free wow that's some deep stuff you know sometimes i think that we we only skim the surface here on media majors but we're really cutting to the heart of things today aren't we oh yeah i mean yeah buffy is how i um, emote that's how i understand human interaction (laughs) but what can i say see I love television, which is why on this podcast, I tell stories related to movies and TV. And you also swish, you fucking kill that seg. Yeah. My name is Tom Lockney, and I like internet culture and video games. And we just tell each other stories from our preferred mediums to try and blow each other's mind and make each other feel interested. And we do the same to you, listeners. Liam? Sweet, sweet dear listeners who we love so, so, so much. So very, very much. Yes. Can you feel the warmth and the timbre of our voices? <laughs> Alright, Liam, I believe that you are going first this week. The year was 1901. The year they invented the newspaper. Yep, that's it. I'm, this is the history of the news. <laughs> no, uh, a man was born on December 5th, 1901. A man... Tom, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's he, he's a bit of an obscure cultural figure. His name was Walter Elias Disney. Walt Wait, Disney. Well, okay, hang on a second. That actually did take me a fucking second. <laughs> oh boy. See, this is why this is why Liam handles the TV and movies, and I do not. <laughs> Walt because if you do not refer to Walt Disney as Walt Disney, your boy is gonna take maybe a second to get those gears turning. And I I called him a Walter Disney. Like, there was one more added syllable that it threw you off. Uh, Walt Disney was born in 1901. He's an American entrepreneur, animator, film producer, and voice actor. A pioneer of the American animation industry, he introduced several developments in the production of cartoons. Uh, with, and I'm not kidding about this next name, Ub Erwix, spelled U-B space... I W E R K S. That's so good. Ub Erwix. Walt developed the character of Mickey Mouse in 1928, his first highly popular success, and arguably his greatest success. And a lot of people don't know this. He actually was the voice of Mickey Mouse, uh, and it's in, in you know when Mickey was talking, because uh, the original Mickey Mouse short, Steamboat Willie, was like a, a musical, no hmm. dialogue thing. As the cartoons became more complex and as more and more people came on board, Walt Disney didn't have time to voice him. So up until the late 40s, uh, it was it was voiced by Walt Disney, also Carl W. Stalling, uh, with Jimmy McDonald taken over, and then with special appearances by a man named Clarence Nash. We'll get back to him. Disney and WB at the time were basically the titans of cartoons, and they kind of operated very, very differently. Uh, WB was all about pop culture references, um, promoting a lot of their other music catalogs in the cartoons, a lot of hidden adult jokes, 
a little hmm. more zany, a little more off the wall, a little less wholesome, a little rough around the edges. And they were able to do that and make some crazy animation because they didn't have to pay a ton of voice actors. They had one guy, Mel oh. Blanc, do every single voice. Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd, wow. Daffy Duck, Tweety, Sylvester, Foghorn Leghorn, everybody. Holy shit, I had no idea. That's really mm-hmm. impressive. He's considered to be the greatest voice actor. they're all such iconic performances like mm-hmm. you like you you think daffy duck and you like know what that sounds like and it is not at all like bugs or fud or leghorn or i mean or tweety bird like he did tweety yeah. bird that's i mean the only character incredible. he didn't do was granny and witch hazel because they were women they got uh they had um uh, june foray who was their female mel blank but since they had you know mostly male characters overwhelmingly male characters it was all one guy and in fact there's a great tonight show appearance of him in like the 80s and he's Mm -hmm. wearing a sports jacket with all the looney tunes voices and he's like super old at this point and he does the voices and it's insane how like he can just get into those characters without even trying fun fact he also kind of helped develop the personality of all these uh characters working with people like bob clampett and chuck jones some of my uh, animation idols uh he was supposed to be the voice for the pink panther but him the director and the writer could not figure out anything funny for the pink panther to say so he came <laughs> up with the idea of making him silent uh disney didn't really operate like that they had a lot of actors on staff they had a lot of actors come out of animation a lot of their uh original actors were either um professional like children's entertainers at the time or just people who worked in in animation that were able to do uh silly voices which is uh kind of a, uh, a staple to the Pixar model today. Uh, a lot of the lesser character voices are done by the animators. DreamWorks actually picked that up, too. A lot of the minor Shrek characters are like the directors and stuff. Hmm. Um, but they mostly used real actors. For example, the original Goofy, a guy named Pinto Kolvig, was also the original Bozo the Clown on children's television. Wow. Uh, but... They say the greatest voice actor that they found in that original lineup was a guy named Clarence Nash, who, while he did Mickey a couple of times, he was actually known for doing another very famous character. With Pinto, Walt, and Clarence, they were the original Disney triad. I'll let you figure out who this character was. Nash made a name for himself in the 20s. Listen, Liam, Mm -hmm. literally like not 10 minutes ago, you said Walter oh right middle name disney and it took me a minute so the chances of me knowing who this guy is based off of my my fantastic intuition seems very low well if if they're part of the disney triad pinto did goofy walt did mickey who does that leave goofy i said goofy you did did goofy donald duck my dude oh see i told you I'm a giant. Gi- this Donald is a Duck. thing that you you should know about me. I'm a giant idiot. There we go. So Nash made a name for himself in the 20s as an impressionist for KHJ, a Los Angeles radio station, on their show The Merrymakers. He was also employed by the Adhor Milk Company for pl- publicity stunts. Um, he could do a lot of bird noises, caca, and uh, could also whistle really well. So he was dubbed Whistling Clarence, the ad whore Birdman, and he would ride the street with miniature horses and gave treats to children. If that happened today, that man would be arrested. Yeah. But it's much simpler Rightly so. time. In 1932, Nash happened by the Disney studio with his team of horses and decided to leave a copy of his publicity sheet with the receptionist. As it turns out, the name was recognized from his appearance on The Merrymakers, and Walt Disney himself was so impressed with his vocal skills, he was asked to make an informal audition. 
Nash went through several of his voices, and Disney stopped him when he did an impersonation of a family of ducks. They had an upcoming Aflac. talking. That was, yes, uh, that was it, right? His, yeah, this is the history of this is actually Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> okay, um, Gilbert Gottfried's dad. Yeah, because John Gottfried. And now you know the rest of the story. Uh, well, see, Disney had a cartoon coming up called The Wise Little Hen that was going to have a duck character, and Nash was the perfect choice for this duck character that would later become Donald Duck. Nash went on to voice Donald Duck for almost 50 years in over 120 wow. shorts and films. <laughs> the last film to feature Nash's voice was in the 1983's Mickey Christmas Car- uh, Carol, but he did a little bit of commercials and promos until his death. So the Donald Duck voice is super iconic. Yeah. Uh, I can't do an impression of it at all, but it's done by what's called a uh, B-U-C-C-A-L, buckal, buckle speech, which is a form of vocalization where you use the inner cheek to produce sound instead hmm. of your larynx. Uh, Nash first discovered it when he was trying to imitate his pet goat, Mary. Like you do. You know, and he would perform in vaudeville shows where he would spoke in his nervous baby goat voice. With that voice, he would go on to basically make Donald Duck an iconic superstar. And a lot of the reasons that Donald Duck was so iconic was because of that voice. Yeah. Uh, He was actually on an episode... uh, Yeah, wow, damn, well done. It's distinctive for its duck-like quality and the fact that it's super difficult to understand what he's saying half the time. Uh, To keep Donald's voice consistent, though, Nash voiced the character in all foreign languages that the Disney shorts were translated to. He'd have a phonetic alphabet written out. Hmm. Um, So Donald retained the same level of coherency across the globe. Yeah, I guess I never thought about that. Like, how would you, with with characters that are, like, half of their iconography, half of their iconography? Iconography? is 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 their voice how would you translate that for voice actors who can't speak different languages huh i think it really just depends on the situation i know a lot of the times it's uh they just get a different voice actor which kind of sucks but i mean with sometimes like this i mean he no one could do it no one else could do it as well so they just had him read it out hmm uh, Disney unfortunately shut down their shorts department in 1962, but Nash continued to voice Donald in various projects over the next two de- decades, whether it was novelty songs, stuff for the Disney theme parks, all that stuff. Uh, in the late 70s, Nash was known for often taking walks in the neighborhood around, uh, uh, so he lived in Glendale and he lived near this elementary school, and he would do the Donald Duck voice for all the kids and stuff to oh, entertain him. Once he hit 70, he found the voice kind of straining to do, um, and it really hurt his throat. So he'd limit uh, public performances only to groups of children. That was all that he would do, the voice for outside of cartoons. That's only nice. Only for kids. Uh, and during recording sessions, he would take lots of frequent breaks and drink plenty of water so that his voice would not strain. Speaking of which. Yeah. Podcasting secret, keep hydrated. All the time. So, Goofy has been voiced by seven different people over the years. Mickey Mouse has been voiced by, uh, like, eight or nine. Um, Gosh, Mickey, I contain multitudes! (laughs) (laughs) Gosh, Mickey. But for Donald Duck, there's actually, as of 2017, only been three people. But before 2017, only two people have professionally voiced Donald Duck. Tony and Selmo. 
He was born on February 18, 1960, in Salt Lake City. Uh, he formed an early fascination with all things Disney when he went to a screening of Mary Poppins at the age of four. And Semmel says, I remember leaving the theater asking, how did they do that? Who did that? Referring to the animated live-action sequences within Mary Poppins. And that a seed was planted, and from that time on, I never wanted to be a fireman, an astronaut, or anything else. I wanted to work for Disney. Uh, his family moved to Sunnyvale in Northern California when he was seven, and he continued to actively study Disney and animation. He began drawing, utilizing the famous Preston Era art book, Advanced Animation, and built a light table of his own by himself and began making short animated films with his own Super 8 camera. A real go-getter, this guy. Oh, dude, you're going to love this. He attended Marion A. Peterson High School in Sunnyvale, and his artistic efforts there showed a natural talent for draftsmanship. He began to cultivate that talent with night art classes at local colleges and began regular correspondence with the artists who animated the Disney films, people like Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnson, Eric Larson, and Milt Kahl, who I believe some of those are the Nine Grumpy Men, uh, which was like a group of old Disney animators that were just like the Nine Old Grumpy Men. He was also nurturing another interest that seemed unimportant at the time. I was always doing voices, Anselmo says, imitating the teachers and so on. I was the class clown. With the support and encouragement of his Disney animation correspondence, Anselmo was able to attend California Institute of Arts, CalArts, the only school you can go to if you want to pursue animation. So hey, if you're a young kid and you want to pursue animation, it's literally the only place you can go to. It's super unfair. <laughs> yeah, that sounds kind of whack, huh? It's super whack. Um, that's why there's a great uh, great YouTuber named Captain Christian who does a, yeah. a bunch of videos. He does one on Newgrounds, uh, which was kind of like the sort of indie Cal arts for its time in the early aughts. Uh, check that out. So Anselmo went to Cal Arts on a Disney Family Fellowship. He says, the Disney family support means so much to me. If it hadn't been for their help, that dream would have died then and there. I mean, but he was, you know, he says it was Disney support, but, like, he knew what he wanted to do at age four. He built his own equipment. He, like, made the effort to go seek out these people. So I th this was all him, I think. Like, he was just such a go-getter. He began his studies in the character animation department of CalArts in the fall of 78. The head of the department was Jack Hanna, whose Disney career had included 10 years as a director of the unit producing Donald Duck shorts. One half of Hanna-Barbera? Uh, no, I don't oh. think so. Um, I was like, this is the one name, I'll know! Yeah. Hanna-Barbera were, uh, it's funny you mentioned them, they were actually, uh, their whole thing was, we need to make these quick and we need to make these cheap. So they were like, cut all of possible corners and made so much money out of doing that. Which is why if you look at like the old Flintstones and Scooby-Doo, the animation is so bad. Yeah. But, uh, like, the backgrounds specifically are terrible. But the character movement is still there because they were able to just focus on that. They're interesting, those two, and we'll talk about them in the future. So the school had a standard four-year degree program, but because of the connection with Disney Studios, the, subject, uh, the student's work was subject to the scrutiny of studio executives. So basically, it was a college class where people who you wanted to work for would come in and grade your work. They don't do this anymore. Um, and Selma was selected to transfer to the studio after only starting his second year in the program. That's how good he was at animation. Wow. They immediately got him. And on September 1st, 1980, he reported for work to the Disney Animation Department in Burbank, California. He was assigned to a new and more intense course study at the studio. Uh, so he was still doing classes while also doing work, because, like, you gotta get a degree. Yeah. Gotta get a degree. 
Uh, and someone says, Ron Miller had just set up a program called the Disney School of Animation on a lot with Don Han to train new artists and carrying on Walt's tradition in character animation. So uh, in an animated movie or an animated short, um, it's not like one person drawing everything. That was more kind of WB's style, was having a, you know, like a group of people working on it. Uh, they would just have animators just for characters. So like if you worked on The Hunchback, you would either be maybe you were background maybe you were buildings or maybe you were quasimodo and you would just draw all of quasimodo so all these stills would go to all these different people who would add in their characters and stuff it's fascinating how animation works i don't understand it whatsoever <laughs> and they were basically getting immersed into disney while still you know in subsequent years Samuel contributed to the animation of 20 disney animated features including the black cauldron the little mermaid beauty and the beast the lion king tarzan and the emperor's new groove so at the time, one of Disney's stalwarts, who was just kind of allowed to roam around do whatever he wanted, was Clarence Nash, the voice of Donald Duck. On his fir uh, at Tony and Selmo's first day at the Disney Studio, Tony met Clarence when they, uh, the new students were on a tour of the studio, and Clarence treated the group to a few comments in Donald's voice. This would strike up a friendship between the two, and Clarence would, would stop in on a regular basis to see how Tony was doing. Tony's friendship with Nash started very casually. And Selma says, I was really just curious about it because I could do voices and Donald Duck was the one voice I couldn't do. And Selma asked Nash to show him his technique. It took me a long time to learn that. And I actually think it took Clarence a while to perfect it as well, and Selma says. Uh, he couldn't produce the voice at first, but with a lot of practice, he was actually able to produce a reasonable Donald mimic. It was just for fun, though. Tony had no aspirations of performing Donald in any public way. He enjoyed doing the voices with Clarence. Clarence would be like, how do you think Donald would say this? And Tony would try to do it. And he was like, but I, I had already achieved my dream. I was animating at Disney. I was having the time of my life. The visits were super fun, but I didn't see any real reason uh, for them other than Clarence had too much time on his hands. Clarence Nash died on February 20th, 1985 of leukemia. Oh, oh God. At, at the age of... And he was... Uh, eventually moved to a tombstone with his wife, Margaret. They share the same tombstone, and they have a depiction of Donald Duck and Daisy Duck holding hands on their graves. Oh, that's nice. However, before he died, the year before, it was Donald Duck's 50th birthday, an event celebrated by Disney with events, products, and personal appearances all around the country by Nash. At that point, he and Anselmo would work together and socialize all the time. However, Anselmo was not aware that Nash had leukemia. And Clarence was seem, would be so intent on trying to have Anselmo get this Donald Duck voice down, and, and Tony really didn't understand why. And then on January 1st, 1985, Tony noticed that Clarence did not appear at the parade's grand marshal event. And soon after, Tony was invited to visit Clarence at the hospital in Burbank. Clarence informed Tony that he'd be passing soon, and they had made arrangements for the next person to voice Donald Duck. Clarence said, it has to be you. I wouldn't have it any other way. I need you to take up the mantle of Donald Duck for me. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, Tony was completely awestruck. Yeah, I would imagine. Totally didn't see it coming. With the loss of his friend imminent, the news that Tony was now going to be the voice of Donald Duck was not a cause for excitement. You know what was really happening, though? What? Tony and Selmo. The moment he learned how to do that Donald Duck voice, the juice, the juice, the life juice started to pass from Clarence oh, Nash yeah. Clarence's into spirit. Tony. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he says, well, he actually says, like, I realized every single interaction that I had with Clarence had been leading up to this moment. He had Holy been shit. prepping me for this for years. 
and he had been challenging me. He's look he's looking back and thinking of all the times Clarence would be like, how would Donald say this? How would Donald express this emotion? How would he do that? Try it, to do this for me. It was his Kaiser Soze moment. It was, and he realizes that not only was this man his friend, but this man was his mentor. He was sad to lose him, but he knew that he had to undertake this challenge to keep his friend's spirit alive. I think in hindsight, one of the reasons Clarence spent so much time working with me on Donald's voice and personality before mentioning his plans for his succession is he wanted to make absolutely sure I would do that legacy justice before telling me. Uh, when Nash died officially, Anselmo uh, inherited the role, like officially inherited the role, which of course was the only person that Nash had wished to do it. And Anselmo had a lot to say about how they would approach the voice. I wanted to use the same mic that Clarence used. It's the original ribbon mic, and it has a much warmer sound. He also developed the fine points of his own technique. I remember Clarence saying, the duck sounded really good that day. And I'd ask him, what do you mean? And he'd say, oh, some days Donald just sounds better than others, and I don't know why. So he kept a strict vocal regimen. He never voices Donald before 11 a.m., so his sinuses are clear, and he never eats before recording. Uh, food can affect the voice. Many words are impossible for Donald to artic articulate. Words that start with a T sound like a D. Words that uh, words with the S, especially double S's, are super distorted. But with practice, Clarence, the studio, and later Tony have learned that short sentences work best for Donald. Perhaps the best piece of advice I uh, I ever got, Tony says, was if you can't come if you come across a word that Donald can't articulate, find another word that means the same thing. Tony explained that preserving the integrity of the character was the most important to him. Some new shows have had scripts that have Donald making statements that seemed out of character. And when that happened, he would go back to the script writer and say, Hey, Donald wouldn't Nicky, say this. I think dogs should vote. <laughs> you lost it, but it started it. Oh. So, for example, Donald would never say, Hey, baby, but he would say, Hiatuts. So, we'd also work with the script writers just to make sure the character was still Donald Duck. And then he also quoted saying, Whoever carries the torch must continue to maintain that integrity for a duck that doesn't wear pants. <laughs> Anselmo's first performance as Donald was on a televised program titled DTV Valentine, a special on the Disney Channel. And since then, Anselmo has voiced Donald in hundreds of projects, including television, feature films, theme parks, and consumer products. Anselmo also shared voiceover duties with Russie Taylor for Huey, Dewey, and Louie since 1999. Uh, Huey, Dewey, and Louie are Donald's very silly nephews. And he's been in everything the DuckTales, House of Mouse. Uh, Kingdom Hearts, every single Donald Duck that you've seen in any Disney thing has been Tony and Selmo. Uh, in September 2009, Tony and Selmo was named Disney Legend, just like his dear friend and mentor Clarence Nash, who was named posthumously in 1993. There's an, up there's an upcoming DuckTales reboot happening, and they're <laughs> approaching the voice acting in a different way. Instead of having Huey, Dewey, and Louie have basically the same voice as Donald, they're casting uh, comedians. Uh, Danny Putty, Ben Schwartz, Bobby Moynihan, Kate Machucci, Beck Bennett, and even David Tennant is going to be Scrooge. And when they made that announcement, Donald was absent from the, the video announcement. And everyone was wondering who they got to voice Donald. They got Tony Anselmo. I mean, why, who, why yeah. else would you, get, why would you get anybody else? Tony was so happy to do it. Nothing to but me, Tony. I think that's so cool. Um, now... Someone named Daniel Ross has started voicing Donald Duck for uh, video games and such because uh, I think Tony is uh, getting up there in age and getting and, ready yeah. to retire. But he said he's still going to voice Donald yeah. Duck in projects. You know, they, Disney yeah. is a well, conglomerate. I, the amount of voice acting that you have to do 
for a video game versus a, a cartoon short or something like that, it's... It's a lot more. It's immense, yeah. It's ridiculous there's no voice actors guild. Yeah, it's 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 completely wild. And yeah. and people... One day I'll do a thing about the voice actor strikes that have been going on in video games, but... Now, there's a video that I really like, and uh, I, I guess I'll post it with the episode link, um, because it is Clarence Nash and Tony Anselmo both doing the voice at Donald oh, Duck's 50th birthday. That's so great! It's, it's just Tony doing it, and he's trying to kind of goad Clarence into doing it, and then Clarence takes the mic and does it. I mean, it's it's like you're, they sound exactly the same. And just the laughter on their faces there's a they're also with a guy who voices mickey so they're all just kind of talking to each other and riffing and stuff yeah it's it's very cute and i just really like that this story i just like that there there was a real uh a real amount of integrity and care that goes into donald duck a duck that doesn't wear pants yeah all right liam we know what my donald duck impression sounds like kind of like a rasping demon from the 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 blackness below um why don't you give it a try liam i'll try i i'm really bad i can do mickey and i can do goofy i cannot do donald oh give it a shot give it a shot homie that's like the best i can do oh my god well you know know who has a great donald duck impression tom cruise huh not even kidding but just to show that i can do other voices um Ooh, ooh, oh, okay. So I, I can do Mickey. Haha, uh, I'm the mascot of an evil corporation. Ha ha ha. Very easy. Uh, goofy, gorsh. It's just super fun to do. Yeah. But as far as actual impressions go, the only impression that I can really do really well is um, the professor from Futurama. So give me a second. Give me a second. He's preparing. Good news, everyone. I've taught the toaster how to love. <laughs> Dude, hell yeah. And then, uh, this is really fun. Um, I learned, it's it's Billy West who does The Professor and Fry and Zoidberg, and he was on a podcast I like, and he t- uh, taught the guy how to do Zoidberg. It's really, really easy. Uh, you just pour your cheeks like this, and then just try to get that tone. So you just, excuse me, young lady, could you hand me that sandwich from the dumpster? <laughs> It's very silly. <laughs> All right, Liam, shut up and get the fuck out. I'm going to fuck your podcast now. Hooray! I tell an uplifting tale of friendship. <laughs> the first happy tale I ever tell. Let's talk about cuckoldry. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> sure. The first usage of the word cuckold appears hang on a second guys i'm gonna have a i I mean i'm gonna have a quick drink before (laughs) i get into this yeah you know what liam you lift us up and i bring us back down just putting so many rocks in my pockets tom oofa doofa all right now that uh now that i'm a loose limber the first usage of the word cuckold appears in about 1250 a.d in the satirical poem the owl and the nightingale it comes from the name of the cuckoo bird which has a habit of laying its eggs in other birds nests there's also a female what a dirty birdie there's also a female equivalent of the word uh cuck queen uh because 
<laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, no. Spelled that's not what it's called. Q U E A N, um, because English genders a lot of its words, so that means that cuck is actually a prefix. <laughs> oh boy. In its original, and and by original I mean like, in in the usage in this poem, the term was a blank descriptor for somebody who was unwittingly being cheated on by their spouse. So a cuckold was being cheated on by their wife. Um, and a cuck queen was a woman being cheated on uh, by her husband. That is not as empowering as I want cuck queen to be. <laughs> Slay cuck queen. Oh my gosh, cuck queen. Oh. <laughs> um, oh, I love cuck broad cities so much. <laughs> cuck Alana and, sorry, cuck queens Alana and Abby. Oh, Fuck other God. people, I guess? I don't know what cuck broad city would be. <laughs> uh, and... So, quick note here, it's going to seem like I'm skipping over a huge chunk of the word cuck and its history, um, and but I'm not. Uh, it's it's just to serve the flow of the story. I will come back to it when, when it is relevant. On April 26th, 2013, comic book artist Erica Moen announces a new project on her website. Quote, You guys... I cannot even begin to articulate how excited I am about debuting my new weekly review comic, Oh Joy Sex Toy. Today is the culmination. So were, were other, name, other names were picked. Ahoy Sex Toy. Oh Boy Sex Toy. Uh, that's all I got. Cut this joke out, Liam. <laughs> Today is the culmination of four months of preparing, researching, interviewing, website building, affiliate courting, and, of course, comic making. And I just could not be happier with the results. I truly feel this is my best work. So, what hey, is this all about? Who do you think about? was a better band? Cuck Queen or Cuck Ramones? Cuck Kiss. Cuck Kiss. <laughs> I want to rock and roll all night and watch you sleep with my wife. <laughs> oh Joy Sex Toy, OJST is a weekly comic that updates every Tuesday to bring you, you, reviews Me? of everything that relates to sex, sexuality, and the sex industry, from toys to workshops to birth control and much more. No stone will be left unturned, no vibrator left unused, no nipple left unpinched. With the Unless of... you're not into that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, with the aid of guest reviewers, this comic will cover products for all the different anatomies people possess, from vulvas to penises and beyond. OJST strives to be relevant to all different genders, body types, and sexualities. Dang! Exciting! I hope you enjoy! Smiley face. End quote. Chaboy sex toy explains. <laughs> Got it! Third one! There you go. Now I have to keep that joke in. Uh, at its launch, I, I believe it was just Moen, um, ooh, but the ooh, project... Ooh, 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 More like at its raunch. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the project now includes her husband, Matthew Nolan. Oh, Joy Sex Story has become this incredibly popular webcomic and is, for the most part, received well until... Uh-oh. April 4th, 2017. That's... that's but, but, Tom, that's nine days ago from this recording. I know. Oh, my God. It's practically the future. Hey, does Clarence Nash make an appearance in this story? <laughs> well, you never know. Donald Duck just loves getting his ass blasted. Yeah. No, actually, his cloaca. Yeah. Pardon me. Yeah, come on, man. 
uh, on April 4th, 2017, Moen and Nolan publish an entry entitled, What the Fuck's a Cuck? So far, so good. (laughs) (laughs) In the comic, Moen seeks to destigmatize the practice of cuckoldry as fetish by illustrating how it has become a practice of sexual power dynamics between willing participants. Now, there were two things that people latched onto from the strip, and I'm going to start with the fun one. Due to the language and tone of the comic, there was one panel in particular that people latched onto. Depicted (laughs) in the panel... (laughs) Shut the fuck up, Tom! (laughs) Depicted in the panel are three characters. Joe, the cuck, Kate, the wife, and Craig, the bull... (laughs) Ferdinand, that's what you name your fucking bull, man. Joe starts to say something about being a cuck, but is cut off by Craig, who sweeps Kate off her feet and tells Joe, Joe, shut up and get the fuck out. I'm going to fuck your wife now. (laughs) (laughs) Just like the fucking goofiest shit. (laughs) Joe, shut the fuck up. I'm going to plow your betrothed like a field in May. This spawned dozens of memes all mocking the language and context of the comic. I saw this uh, repurposed as, like, lost, so, like, meta-mimetic humor. The fucking, like, expanding brain meme. Oh, you know, the rounds. What's what's popular right now? Donald Duck carrying Mickey. Shut the fuck up, Mickey. I'm gonna fuck your wife. Clarence! Um, but these memes were also motivated by a, a legitimate backlash towards the comic's discussion of the word cuck and the concept of cuckoldry. And this is the part that's less fun. Yup. The comic begins with a man asking a cartooned Matthew Nolan, what the fuck's a cuck? To which Nolan replies, quote, great question. Cuck has been showing up a lot recently and not in a very positive way, which is undeserved. Later on in the comic, Nolan also says, quote, A warning if you are interested in researching this kink. Unfortunately, there are some rotten, racist edges that are hard to avoid stumbling over on the internet. A lot of cuckold porn stories and stereotypes are based around white couples being with a black third in a really ugly way, using racial slurs and all. That really sucks, but the practice of cuckolding itself isn't based on race. Cuckolding is about the power dynamic between a couple and a third who are playing with the pressure points for mutual sexual gratification. End quote. So, okay. Remember how I said I skipped a lot of things. <laughs> yep. So, y'all, I just want to take a quick moment. I just feel like let's take a breather. Have, pour yourself a cup of tea. Maybe take a nice shower because it's about to get rough. Unlike, you want to put, put a trigger warning on this one? Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'll throw up. Uh, uh, broad. Tr- I'm. I don't. I'm not gonna get into like any specific examples per se, but you know, ra- racism. I guess you would qualify this as racial violence in a way. So you know, just uh, yeah. we're about to step in some wary territory. So if this might not be your jam, you know, yeah, feel free to fast forward to self care. Yeah. So I I skipped over a lot of this because I'm going to come back to it now, unlike Bowen and Nolan, um, because this racial element is inseparable from the conversation surrounding cuckoldry and this comic you remember what i talked about donald duck like 20 minutes ago (laughs) donald duck and his beautiful cloaca his beautiful white cloaca (laughs) 
Many critics uh, rightly accused Moen and Nolan of glossing over and ignoring the very gross, fucked up, shitty, racist shit that, uh, despite what they may have said in the comic, is 100% integral to the history and practice of cockaldry. Though it may have started as an old English joke in a satirical poem, the term does not and, and never has existed within some sort of magical bubble shielding it from a racist culture. Uh, when the word cuckold was birthed into the world, it was birthed into an extremely racist world that engaged in and continues to engage in uh, racialized sexualization of the bodies of black men and women. They are fetishized constantly as some sort of exotic, quote unquote, other. And this has become a massive building block of the concept of cuckoldry. Uh, I would even argue that it's become a, a massive building block block of like a huge corner of just uh we'll say traditional pornography but meaning yeah. that like pornography that is not supposed to be about cucking yeah like like the the concept of like interracial porn is yeah. inherently incredibly racist because yeah. it, like you know like, yeah and this is what i'm talking about black bodies are are fetishized and coveted in countless different ways and and the stuff that i'm going to be talking about is going to be focused on cuckoldry because that's the topic at hand but it is it is by far not the only way in which black folks bodies are exploited and and used by the cultural zeitgeist uh but okay anyways the the manifestation of of racialized cuckoldry has changed throughout the centuries um because you, back during the times of slavery and even beyond then you know black bodies were at once coveted and shunned uh like the the viewed as a transgression of a taboo an alluring taboo because they were again seen as a racialized other um but more recently with the advent of mainstream pornography cuckoldry has become pretty much exclusively about white women being taken by black men i wouldn't recommend it but if you google cuckoldry porn it's going to be the vast majority is going to be uh white woman gets fucked by bbc okay i'm going to pornhub i i i think we should do a live experiment yeah i'm going to pornhub Tom, cool. all right, verify I am on Pornhub. Oh, yeah. Porn. Liam this is, is Pornhub. Yep. <laughs> all right, I'm just going to search. On the mobile, what? no less. J well, yeah. Dude, do you think right now with Skype and Ableton <laughs> open, my fucking old obsolete computer can handle pornography? Absolutely not. It would, I would die. It would actually blow up my apartment. Just putting the word cuckold. Third one. Third one. Third one. Cuckle helps me with black bull's cock. Oh my god. And under it is another racist one. Under that is another racist one. Jesus Christ. All right. Yeah. Half of the ones that came up were racist. Yeah. And and not only that, but they'll also feature usually slurs and, and shit like that, uh, which is fucking gross. Sex between two consenting adults can be a really wonderful thing. And mm -hmm. these are taking that wonderful thing and applying one of the worst aspects of... Uh, history into it yeah with that um and this like, makes my skin crawl man and pornography is different it's evolved since what it was when when it more or less redefined uh pornographic 
the pornographic context of cuckoldry um mm-hmm. but it still happens all the fucking time in 2017 obviously like you you can't you can't say that race isn't integral to cuckoldry and you can't just be like well yeah there's some stuff but we're not going to talk about it um you have if you're going to talk about cucking you have to talk about the racial implications because it and and for a comic that strives to be inclusive to everybody in ignoring this we're excluding i i don't know how many uh people of color read that comic but i would imagine and it doesn't matter even if just one person you should and again (sighs) it i'm getting flashbacks of my advice to the fucking pepsi company again because like if you're gonna write about this and you and you're a white you know cisgendered woman and you want to write about this find a web a webcomic artist who's a person of color who can take that part of the story and and do something with it exactly or if if you're if you don't know as much about it which it seems like moen and nolan later on it seems like they did not understand this maybe that's giving them too much benefit of the doubt but if you like clearly they are aware that race is an issue here um and it probably would have been a better idea for them to say hey we don't know about this thing so we should get somebody who does know about it to talk about it like individual cuckings are not inherently racist but the concept and culture of cuckoldry is which is the broader point that i'm getting at i'm really sorry but the phrase individual cucking made me laugh (laughs) (laughs) it's like how some words at one time uh, were not slurs, but then became slurs. Their prior use as a descriptor does not make them suddenly not a slur. Tell that to England and their cigarettes, if you know what I mean. Exactly. Um, also, you know, remember how at the beginning of the comic, Nolan said that Cuck had recently been getting used in a lot of negative ways. Let's talk about that too, because Cuck has become an incredibly popular crypto slur. Oh God! <laughs> the fucking vocabulary you, that I have. All the pepes in the world. I want to murder all of them. Oh, ah, ruining, ruining milk. The ruining frogs. Vocabulary that the internet has given us is beautiful, but also like the. <laughs> it, it, I, w- I would say it isn't even beautiful. Um, it's still got her ponytail and paint-covered overalls. Cuck became a popular crypto slur originating on 4chan amongst alt-right conservatives. It's a slur used to describe... You could just say alt-right. It's a slur described used to describe liberals, progressives, and even center-leaning conservatives, with the implication, of course, being that those who would cooperate with minorities in any capacity are somehow submissive cucks who would uh, be willing and want a black person to sleep with their spouses. I hate the internet so fucking much. But uh, I, I guess that means that like the, the proof is in the racist pudding, isn't it? Uh, Channers took this racist term and uh, applied it in a slightly different way and broadened its usage. Uh, in England, racist pudding is so much worse than you <laughs> could imagine. So cuckoldry is a fetish. There, there is a legitimate fetish based off of power dynamics, but it cannot just be... Uh, considered a fetish or or discussed as purely a fetish it is also an extraordinarily racialized term and by virtue of the fact that a moen and nolan felt the need to mention this stuff in the comic means that it is an integral part of the concept and b that they uh, the fact that they 
uh, very consciously chose not to include any characters of color in their comic, which they normally do, means that they like were def- like definitely like a hundred percent sure, a hundred percent were aware of the racial implications and chose to push them to the side. Which means, guys, come on, you're killing me. Yeah. I I do like this comic. I do I do like what they do. And I don't necessarily mean this to exist as as call out post more as a compendium again like last week like a discourse trampoline where i mean this is worse than nick robinson and anita sarkeesian making some ill-advised tweets because they initially defended the comic with nolan invoking race play and moen retweeting a uh quote uh, quote unquote cuck predates the institution of slavery position liam has a question yes liam um were they on meth <laughs> well did they not have someone look at their phone and be like no yeah tweet tweet that definitely I, tweet that i did um some Boy, research they. i did some research into race play and again as with cuckoldry it is it is a uh, legitimate fetish that is also inextricably tied to racism and by the way the way shocking. that you frame shocking that race play is tied to <laughs> fucking racism tom the way that you frame uh race play is like again i like have a black person or a another person of color who has a fantasy like this involving race play talk about it not don't don't invoke race play to uh, absolve people who are like, yes, I would like a black man to fuck my wife because he is black and she is white. That's very different framing. That is not what that Michael Jackson song was about. <laughs> and and like, again, the, the cuck predates the institution of slavery position is bullshit because... Such bullshit! Like, such bullshit! Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, because just because something predates something shitty doesn't mean that it can't be tied to it. So, like, okay, slavery is very bad, but slavery's been around since the fucking Egyptians! Who do you think built the goddamn pyramids? Like, goddammit, those- oh, god, why would you say something so, so dumb? It was, uh, a- to to just be very specific and clarify, um, Nolan's invocation of race play was in a, like, paragraph edit to the comic description- and Moen, why I'm a dummy with words. And Moen uh, simply retweeted some tweets talking about Cuck predating the institution of slavery, presumably talking about American slavery. But again, doesn't fucking matter. Um, yeah. First of all, stop. Just stop. Like, just stop. Like, just say you're sorry and uh, fucking apologize. And then, oh my god. Yeah. They have lordy, since. Lordy. Yeah, they have since apologized. And promise that they will do better. And again, uh, a, a skosh more serious than Nick Robinson and Anita Sarkeesian making some ill-advised tweets. Like, come on, guys, when people of color and intersectional writers, thinkers, people, etc., all come down and say, hey, the thing that you did maybe wasn't hateful, but it was definitely racist. The answer is not Tone to deaf. buckle down on the thing that you did. More like cuckle down. <laughs> Uh, so I will end my story with this recommendation. If you can, Google a load of bull 
White Supremacy and the Big Black Cock, uh, which is an incredible piece on the racism of cuckoldry by one of my favorite writers, uh, at Bloody Honey underscore on Twitter. I believe his real name is Charles. Uh, they've left the comic up. What's their prerogative? I mean, we've like there are there are things that I can recall having said on very early episodes of this podcast that would probably upset people um, that are not this bad, but we've chosen to leave those up too. And that's the way of the internet sometimes is, is there are like indelible marks on your character. And if it ruins a product for people, uh, man, anyways, that was what the fuck's a cuck. <laughs> let's go, let's go somewhere else now. Let's go to the self-care corner, because sometimes on the show, we do talk about nice things like Donald Duck's gorgeous cloaca. Um, <laughs> and his legacy of really nice voice actors. Yes, and sometimes we talk about things... He didn't things... know Clarence was going to die. And sometimes we talk about things like uh, otherwise smart queer artists fucking up and hurting people who look up to them. So we like to balance that out with the self-care corner where we talk about a good thing that happened in our life in our week and brightened our day mine's actually like a twofold so earlier in the week i did i wrote up a piece about mass effect andromeda patches going on and thinking about life in a post-release world and uh at one point i talked about uh th there's a trans character that was mishandled shocker and uh, I talked about how queer people have to uh, carve out, really work to carve out a space in things they enjoy. And I recently came out as bi. And you undergo sort of like an imposter syndrome where you're like, do I get to say that I'm queer? And, and because of the way that you've been speaking your whole life, that you, you like autopilot to, you'll write queer people and then they... And when I was writing this piece, I said uh, uh, queer people have to carve out a space in their media. And then I used the word we without even thinking about it. And that was hey. like the first time that that has ever happened. Like I've had to very consciously work towards that. So that was nice. And I put it up. And then one of my favorite uh, freelance games journalists, Nick Capazzoli, ended up reading it because uh, we've been talking about it on Twitter, and I sent it to him, and he liked it and said it was a good piece. So those are my hey. self-care corners. All right, Liam? Uh, Tom, Shana Tava. Happy Passover, my, my man. Oh, happy Passover. I went I went home for Passover. I hadn't been to Seder in years. I'm, my family's not, like, super cultural. Like, we're we're uh, very culturally Jewish, not uh, actually Jewish. Like, I, I haven't been to synagogue or anything. But I got to go home for the weekend and just hang out with my family and eat bowls and bowls of my mom's matzo ball soup, and it was delightful. Awesome. So good. And in other more work-related news, I've finished another pilot. I adapted a pilot. I've always wanted to write an adaptation, and I did it in two days, and I was very happy with it. I read it. It's very good. It's the excellent Casey Green webcomic Anime Club. Uh, yeah, he it's a it's a five part comic, and I remember reading it and thinking, this could this would be an amazing pilot, 
and I I wrote it, and I'm very happy with it. I think I stayed true to the tone of the series. It's a webcomic that I makes me laugh every single time I read it. It's great. So funny. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what I've done. In podcast self-care corner news, we're about to crack 700 episode downloads. Hell yeah, dude! Also, our Milo Yiannopoulos episode uh, is up to 80 downloads, oh, which shit. is fucking insane. Oh, God. So <laughs> One day he's going to hear it and sue me. <laughs> oh, doesn't matter. Oh, God. He'll, he'll get bored with me talking about family matters first. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, uh, so as we segue into the plugs goodbye section, uh, by the time this is up, we're going to have a Facebook page. We should have had one a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck are we going to do? Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll have a link to that on the site. So if you listen to this, and I know you're there somewhere, people who are listening to this. Apparently. <laughs> Impossibly. Because uh, we've seen, we've, we haven't seen any new reviews or new Twitter followers, but a Facebook like, that's easy. You can do that. So yeah, if you like the group, if you follow us, if you write a review, you'll get a shout out in a shout out section that we'd love to start doing. Yep. So. <laughs> uh, follow us at on Twitter at Media Majors Cast. If you have a self care corner, you're free to send those into Media Majors Podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, or we talked about sensitive stuff today, and I hope that we didn't fuck it up. Uh, but if we did, I hope that we've cultivated a safe enough tone that you feel comfortable coming to us and telling us when we have fucked up and just done something wrong. So that is also an avenue for the email. Uh, uh, and if, um, you know, like, like, like we said earlier, uh, if you feel that you're a person who has a, a better viewpoint or experience with stuff like this, you know, let's, let's yeah, uh, talk and come on the po- podcast, man. Like we'd love to uh, have, some guests on who can enlighten us on some of the stuff yeah. we talked about uh please leave us a review or a, a rating on itunes that super helps out podcasts yeah uh, anything else uh let's i just want to keep this train of growing keep this train of rolling yeah uh let's let's uh yeah i'd like i'd like uh i'd like some i'd like a review just, just <laughs> one more review we have we have one review from an anonymous person that it's definitely not in this room with me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Oh. Make our dreams come true. Yeah. We'll take you with us. And as always... We'll be there for you. Okay, hey, it's Liam. We fucked up Donald Cuck. It was right there, and we missed it. And Tom shouted it after we recorded. He's exporting the audio. We're just, we're fucking sorry, guys. We dropped the fucking ball. We're better than that, and we're sorry. God damn it.